Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello, and welcome to episode 163 of Dogcast Radio. Don't forget that you can find all our previous shows, plus the Dogcast Radio blog, gorgeous photos, articles, and a multitude of dog-related information at our website, www.dogcastradio.com. In this show, we'll be discussing a British rescue charity that is saving dogs around the world. We go in, and what we try to do is help a lot of the, the, the rescues there. We show them that it can be done, how... They can rescue these dogs and get them rehomed and raise funds for veterinary care, this, that and the other. It's sort of like empowering the, the, the people out there. Plus, we'll be catching up with the latest happenings in the dog world. But before all that, we have an interview with Sarah Pennington, a dog trainer whose unusual advice sparked my imagination. I found out more about her online and really liked what I saw because Sarah seeks to teach a dog to want to do a behaviour and that makes sense to me because if our dog doesn't want to join in with us there's not a lot we can do with them. That's very true Um, and I specifically on the website I refer to teaching your dog to want to do like grooming things that so many dogs dislike like having a bath or their nail trims or being brushed. Um, So that's what I, what I really like to teach them to, instead of being afraid of it or fighting you for when you, every time you try to do it, you can actually teach them to enjoy it. Yeah. Which is, it's, um, it's great to see a dog change from being afraid of having their nail trims to actually holding their paw out when you bring out the, the implement. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that does make life Easier for you, but easier for them, isn't it? It's, it's a lot less stress on them. That's right. Absolutely. Um, and any time you can decrease the stress in your dog, it just makes their whole be- their whole life experience better. Yeah, yeah. And I, I always think with training that stress, I sort of usually think of it in, in terms of human stress because I know myself when I've got uptight about something, I have not had – the rest of the session has been – a waste because I haven't achieved anything because the dog's just thinking why are you so uptight why are you worried what's wrong here but mm-hmm. you know stress on either side the human side or the canine side and you're not going to have a productive session are you absolutely yeah you want to be relaxed and happy and make it enjoyable for both you and the dog yeah so that you're working together and not like do this do this instead it's like do you want to do that oh great here I'll pay you for that behavior yeah yeah. And then that's when you get a really strong bond between you, isn't it? Absolutely. And the dog is never worried that you're going to hurt them or frighten them or do anything. They're always willing to work with you because there's there's, there's no fear at all. And you have a really strong bond. Yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant. Um, now, I know you, you bring that uh, approach to bear really effectively. Um, rehabilitating rescue dogs, don't you? So can you tell me a bit about that? Yes, sure. I, I do volunteer uh, training with, with a, a rescue called West Coast Cocker Rescue. Oh. Um, and I will take the dog into my home for about five days and train them the basic behaviors. But if they have a fear, um, a lot of the cockers seem to have body handling issues. Oh. So I will focus on getting them to like having their nails cut, for instance. Um, I had one dog who... Um, he didn't like having his paws touched at all. So he couldn't even have his feet wiped without growling at the person. Mm-hmm. And that made it a, you know, difficult to rehome him. Um, and, it was, and it was uncomfortable for him because he was afraid of such a simple thing. So I worked on it by teaching him that when his feet were touched, it meant super fantastic things for him. And you start slowly. Like you would start by, I would touch his shoulder and then I would give him a piece of chicken. Yeah. And then, and then once he saw, like every time I touched his shoulder, he'd be like, whoa, I love that. <laughs> then I'd touch his elbow, you know, and work slowly down to being his, having his feet rubbed. And then eventually he'll be, he would, was handing me his paw and I was able to like dry them. And then Aww. he got some chicken at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's, that's lovely because by starting with the shoulder before he's anywhere near thinking, wow, you know, I'm frightened what's happening. He's already thinking, oh, yeah, associating it with good things. That's such a, just a positive approach, isn't it? 
Yeah, and, and that's the important thing. You never want to start right at the part that freaks the dog out. You want to start where he's comfortable being touched and gra- and teach him that touch is fantastic by using really high-value treats um, after the touch and gradually work your way down based on how comfortable the dog is. Um, so you wouldn't – and and it can take a long time. You just go as slow as the dog needs. That's the, that's the important part of that type of technique. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's such a, a kind and a, a good technique. Um, and I guess, as you say, the dogs – when you've, when you've worked with them, whether it's on a, a fear or, you know, sort of whatever behavior it is, they must stand a much better chance of then being adopted, mustn't they? Yes, absolutely. When you can show a little video of the dog who's walking nicely on the leash and comes when called and lays down to have his meals prepared, it just, he shows really well. And then people tend to apply to adopt that dog yeah so it, it does help oh and sometimes yes. i guess because as humans we like a story don't we so if you can show them the story of that, that dog's journey kind of thing and this is he used to be like this and this is where he is now you know that's gonna in a way you know sell the dog you know yeah. i mean promote the dog in a better way isn't it yes yeah absolutely yeah yeah absolutely. and it also i think it it promotes people training their dog in the same method so using positive reinforcement techniques, um, using treats and play. So you, so it just builds on the whole um, keeping the dog stress-free and happy and working with, with no fear, fearful techniques. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, because if they can see it works with the, the dog they're adopting, you know, mm-hmm. they can see that the benefit from it. Um, yep, they're, they're more likely to use that. Um, now, I know that one of your um, passions, shall I say, is sort of giving our dogs adequate mental stimulation so what's important about that why isn't just sort of a you know a 15 minute walk or run around the block enough why do they need mental stimulation well dogs are natural hunters and scavengers that's kind of what they're wired to be and if you can tap into that um, by teaching them um, giving them work to eat toys and puzzles it's hugely mentally stimulating and in turn it actually tires them out it's a real energy burner Mm. and when you think of a dog's life like with the average busy family where where the couple works um the dog might get their 15 minute walk in the morning and then they're left alone to do like and so they're they're just sort of sleeping and nothing going on but if you can um add a few enrichment activities to the dog's day, it's hugely beneficial. And the work to eat toys can be worked up to um, it taking 20 minutes for the dog to eat a meal. That's If you feed them twice a day, that's 40 minutes of intense mental stimulation that burns energy that's free, doesn't take any of your time. Yeah. So it's, it's, they're really great um, yeah. to add to the dog's daily schedule. Yeah, yeah. And I mean dogs like to to be occupied don't they they don't actually i know they they sleep a lot but sort of they have a drive to be doing and they actually enjoy it isn't cruel is it? it's quite enjoyable for them to work to get the food oh they love it if you watch if you start trying some of these um these toys and you can make them yourself you don't have to spend lots of money on them one example is using a cardboard egg carton Hmm. and put the dog's food in that and close the egg carton and let him work in to find the food and just watch how it's sort of, he likes the puzzle. It's almost like they're enjoying figuring out the puzzle. Um, And some dogs really get a kick out of ripping up paper. Yes. So that's a plus as long as you don't mind the paper mess. And if he doesn't eat the paper, you have to, of course, screen dogs. Some dogs ingest things that they shouldn't. But for dogs that don't, that just enjoy ripping up things, the egg carton is a double whammy because first they get the puzzle of getting their food and then they have the thrill of ripping something up at the end. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a really fun fun game for them yeah I mean I have to say all our dogs like that kind of activity but particularly my border collie mm. I think once once all the food's gone he's like yeah I'm gonna destroy this box now and he you can just see he's relishing it I know it's so interesting because some dogs love that kind of the ripping things up and then some dogs you can use the same egg carton for three weeks and <laughs> and they just gently open it and oh 
yeah, it's each dog has their own their own uh, way of dealing with these food puzzles yeah but yeah. so some some dogs you've got to get through more eggs you've got to eat more eggs if you've got a dog right. that likes ripping the box up <laughs> exactly but there's a number of um work to eat toys that you can make with regular things that you have around your house mm. um one is that those takeout coffee carriers yeah you know you can put treats or a little bit of food in that and then put a tennis ball on top of the hole the four holes yeah. and then the dog has to lift the tennis ball up to figure out what's underneath yeah. and then eat it that's yeah. that's another easy to make one yeah or you could use a muffin tin and put some of the wet food in a couple of the muffin holes i like to put a little bit of cheese whiz just a little in some some peanut butter in others a few treats and then cover some of them with tennis balls and a, and then give that to the dog and that's there's lots of holes and different things that they get to smell and, and work for. That's yeah. a fun one too. Yeah. I really like these ideas um, because as you say, they're things that most people will, will have readily to hand. So it's not, that you're not going out to find them. You're not, it's not extra time. It's not extra money, but it, it's going to mean a lot to the dog, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. It'll really make their, it, it'll give them something to look forward to and it will burn their energy too. Yeah. Um, yeah, oh. they do have they they also do have the like toys on the market that you can buy if your dog gets really hooked on them. Um, I, I like for for people who have a really active dog that gets really amped up when you have visitors over. Um, I recommend that they get at one of the a stuffed uh, the big rubber toys that you can buy and have a special a few special ones stuffed full of really good things and frozen. So that when your guests come over, your dog will have something to do. Yes. Something to do that he'll be really focused on and will love. And it's kind of like a pat, um, like a soother for a baby. It just keeps them occupied and out of your hair while you're eating the meal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember when I was getting Buddy sort of used to the fact that he was, he was sort of, we'd stopped using the crate so much and sort of when, if I was going out, I was getting him used to the fact that he had the run of the house and, you know, he, he was okay and I was just making sure he's okay and um and I, I would sort of get a, a kong and and um you know one of the for anybody that doesn't know a kong it's, it's a, a rubber toy with a larger hole at one end and a smaller at the other and the dog has to work to get the the treats out and I would yeah. give him a kong regularly stuffed with various things and it got to the point where he would read my body language and know I was going out and he'd just run to his bed and goes where's my kong then you know yeah, <laughs> yeah it's fantastic how it works isn't it they yeah because they they can see the routine and uh, yeah, Kongs are great for that. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, anything like we, we've got, um, I don't know the, even the name of it, but it's sort of, a, it's more, it's plastic, it's not rubber and it's smaller at the top. Um, it's not quite a cone and it's sort of an oval, but a slimmer oval at the top and it's weighted at the bottom and there's a small hole at the top and you put the, the kibble in or the treats in and then the dog yeah. really has to knock and work to get the treats out. And again, yeah. as love that. Oh, yeah. There's also the Kong wobbler where you pour, I don't know if you've seen that, it's got a sanded round weight at the bottom yeah. and, and the dog has to kick it and the kibble fall, flies all over the place and <laughs> they have a blast doing yeah. it. Yeah, no, they really do. So, you know, you can go either way, can't you? Or you can do both, have the best of yeah. both worlds and have some that you yeah. bought and some that you've made and, made and well, be invented. Absolutely. A simple thing even is just tossing the kibble on the floor or out in the grass. Like yeah. that's even, you don't even need anything. You can just kind of toss the food and have them search for it. Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I always think then, though, they might, if I put it in the grass, they might be disappointed next time they go and go, well, there's no food here today. Yeah. This is hopeless. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Now, another um, idea that I saw from you, and I think is, is a really refreshing approach, is letting the dog sniff out on a walk. Now, I see a lot of, um, sometimes a trainer, and we all have different ideas and different approaches, and I accept that, but I see so many trainers talking about you know being in in quite rigid control of the dog on a lead and sort of differentiating and you know, you you walk by me and you don't sort of go mm. and sniff why why do you think it's a good idea to let the dog sniff on a walk well a dog a dog's nose is their most important sense so a, a dog is 
a dog's nose is kind of like our eyes. That is how they learn about the world. And their nose is so incredibly powerful. It gives them so much information about the world that it just, to me, seems a shame that you're not going to let your dog experience the world through sniffing. And having a dog, if you're taking your dog on a walk to give him exercise, sniffing is, is mentally stimulating and, and, again, will help burn energy better than just him, like, walking like a robot next to you yeah. and it's just more enjoyable for them and I know some people are worried that but then I'll never get anywhere because my dog's always sniffing if you have a dog that wants to sniff every foot for instance you can actually teach sniff as the reward for walking half a block nicely mm. you know instead like that's the reward it's like okay the deal is you walk without pulling they don't have you know as long as they're not pulling I don't teach when I'm on a walk, I don't expect my dog to heal, but I don't want the, them pulling me. As yeah. long as the leash is loose, then it's like, okay, go sniff. They, they, most dogs have like their favorite bush that they always like to sniff. Yes. And that's kind of their reward. And then they get a nice sniff and, and then you go, okay, let's go. And then you do it again. Um, so it, and, and, and if you've got an older dog who doesn't even can't walk very far, then letting him sniff is fantastic because you know, he's getting a bunch of um, enrichment just yeah. by just being outside. And for dogs that are convalescing and can't, unlimited exercise, it's just a great activity for them without physically challenging them. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a lovely idea. And I like the fact that you, you kind of, you're giving people permission, you know, to sort of let the dog do something really, really enjoyable for him. And, yeah. you know, as you say, you can make it a bit more on your terms um but mm. and it, so it's a reward but it, and it's you're not losing if you, if you like control of the dog you know if anybody wants to think oh. of it in those terms but it's, yeah. it's in a way it's sort of it is again about building that bond because okay you're with me you're on lead but hey you still get good things yeah i mean it seems to me that if you have a dog to, I, I like my dogs to have fun in life and do whatever you know have, have a lot of enjoyment out of out of life but they're very well behaved yes but i i always let them sniff I, well, I encourage them to sniff and if they're really into something i kind of i find it fascinating to imagine what they're picking up yes like they pick up who was there and the sex of the dog and what they ate and um like what one thing that really struck me when i was reading learning about a dog's nose hmm. is that if you're if they smell like spaghetti sauce, for instance, like when we smell it, it's like, oh, there's spaghetti sauce. Where they smell every ingredient. They can pick out the different ingredients. Like, the, of course, they don't know what they are, but it's like there's that smell and that smell and that yeah, smell. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah. To, so to let them have access to that, um, I think it's very important for them. Yeah, it is fascinating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and I mean, our, our little Bichon loves yeah. my mum. And I can't, I think she'd left a cardigan. My mum had left a cardigan or something. And so Star, our Bichon, came over, sniffed the cardigan and just sat down and whined at me like, where is she? You know, and she obviously oh. could tell it was my mum's cardigan. She said, well, that's her cardigan. I can smell her. Where is she? Yeah. So, yeah. And I always think that because when, when you have your own dogs and you go out and about and meet other dogs, you, you get sniffed with a different intensity, don't you, from those who don't have dogs and cats yeah. at home. Yep, it's it's like they're saying, "Who did you who did you say hi to?" Yes. They definitely can. They, they're definitely sniff you differently. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you've mentioned your own dog, um, and and so you like them to have fun. Um, can you can you tell us about your dog? Sure, I have two dogs right yeah. now. I have a a thirteen year old Whippet cross oh, named wow, Macy, yeah. mm -hmm. and I got her when she was about six. Um, and she is still completely like a puppy. She still runs with us and chases the ball and um, loves doing tricks, things like that. Oh. And then I recently adopted a Pekingese cross. And mm. we think he's about a year and a half. And he's, I, I've always been a big dog person. So it's really interesting having a littler dog. But it's fascinating. He's brought out the puppy in my Macy even more. They play oh. all the time. Yeah. It's really great to see. Oh, yeah, that's lovely. Yeah, it's fun to start training a new dog, you know, that doesn't 
have any training behind them too. I, I love that. Yeah. Just teaching them about the world and yeah and stuff and making it a, a nice place for them yeah pleasant that's yeah. that's really interesting because um you know forgive me but a whippet and and a, P, a Pekingese they're not breeds that you would immediately <laughs> think would be perhaps I'll, I'll choose my words carefully but easy to train or or particularly motivated to be trained kind of thing so how have you have you found it with them well the key to training any dog is to find, as you say, uh, what motivates them. And if, if your dog is motivated by uh, by food, you're you're well ahead. It's very easy because yeah. you can use food. But some dogs are pickier, so then you have to um, bump up the reward, bump up the type of food that you're using. Um, but both of my guys, these two are, are quite food motivated and Macy being part whippet, she's also hugely ball motivated. Yeah. So I can use, you know, throwing the ball as a reward for her. And, um, the little, the little guy, he's quite food motivated. Yeah. I taught him the first, he's my first dog that I, that needs to be groomed in terms of cut and, you know, having his hair cut because yeah. I've never had a dog like that before. So I decided I'm going to do it myself. So I bought one of those big dog blow dryers. And one of the first things I did was teach him to love that blow dryer. <laughs> and it's so funny now because if I turn it on, he charges over to it. <laughs> like, because he's learned that the blow dryer predicts chicken. Yes. And so he's, he's oh. really quite into it. Bless and him. It's fun to do. Yeah, yeah. I I remember you, I've just you've just sparked this saying about a Pekingese needing grooming. Some friends of ours had a, have a Pekingese, and uh, she just started. Um, the lady had just started trying a clicker with him. Oh yeah. And so she knew I was well into clicky, and she said, "Okay, can you come and you know help me and just see what, what you think?" So I'm <laughs> I was just trying to get this dog to sit. Right. And he was so sort of fluffy and hairy, and I'd be going, sit, sit. And and she, she went, he has sat. <laughs> and I went, Are you sure? <laughs> and I could so I was like, Okay, you tell me when he sat and then I'll click. <laughs> I couldn't tell. That's funny. <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah. Dear. Well their legs are little their little legs are so small that it's not much of a difference from standing and sitting. No. It's like a no. little movement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we had a chain, like she would nudge me when he'd sat and then I could click him for sitting. Right. <laughs> so it wasn't as instantaneous, but we got there. We got there. Oh, dear. Okay. Um, is there anything else you'd, you'd like to say, sort of either about uh, Yale Town dog training or giving your dog uh, mental stimulation? Um, just that I would, I would encourage everyone to just give it a try with their dogs. Um, start simple and you know, just maybe put a little bit of cheese whiz in a muffin tin and, and just watch how your dog responds. Mm. And I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. It's, it's, it gets to be quite enjoyable to watch them as they learn to unpack uh, increasingly more challenging puzzles that you make for them. Mm. Um, and you'll, you'll see that they actually are tired after it. So it's like free, um, tiring out your dog and, and you, you don't even have to do anything. Yeah. Magic. Yeah. I do. do you know, it's such an important thing to get across to people because I'll be very careful about what I say so I don't identify the people. But some, some people we know have a younger dog that is a highly driven herding breed. Mm -hmm. And they will kind of say, oh, look how mad she is. And she's already had, you know, a mile walk or something. And you go, but you haven't tired her brain out. And it's, yeah. They just don't, and and you think you can't give her too much exercise yet because she is mm -hmm. quite young, but you really need to work her brain, and to get that across to people is is right. quite difficult. It is, and they love to work. They yeah. love those type of dogs. Mm. Love to work. Yes, yeah. so it's. I know. I hope the message gets out there more and more, and I think it is. Yeah, um, you yeah. know, letting and and let your dog sniff. I mean, that's just such a simple one that can has a huge impact yeah. on the dog's life. So I would, again, encourage people who, for, who felt that, it, you know, the dog should always walk with them um, just to try it. Let your dog sniff. And I don't, you won't be losing control over the dog. You're, you know, you're, you're, you can say, okay, go sniff. Give him sniff time, call him back, do some walking together, and then let him sniff. I think you'll be 
quite pleasantly surprised with the result. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Um, that's you. You've told us some brilliant ideas here, Sarah, and you've given some great advice. Um, where can people find out more about you online? Oh, thank you. Well, my uh, my website is YaleTownDogTraining.com, and I also have a Facebook page, um, Yaletown Dog Training, on Facebook, where I do post um, tips on how to enrich your dog and how to read your dog's body language and things like that. So please go on there and like it if you're interested. Yeah, excellent. That's where I spotted the the. I think it was the sniffing on 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 walks was the first one I spotted, um, oh. and I went and found your page and thought, oh wow, this is great. So it, 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 there's some really really good ideas there. So brilliant. Oh, thank we'll, you so much. That's okay. We'll put those links on the Dogcast Radio site so people can come and find you. And um, what well, the best of luck. And I'm looking forward to seeing more ideas that I can just find use things around the house and and help my dogs have a better life. Great. Well, thank you so much for inviting me on. It's fun. It certainly was fun and very enlightening. So many thanks to Sarah for sharing her wisdom. We have the links to the Yaletown Dog Training website and the Facebook page too, which I do recommend you visit for lots of tips to help you and your dog stay happy. And if you let your dog have a sniff to enrich his walk, we'd love to hear how you get on. A dog's nose print is as unique as a human fingerprint. The arrangement of creases and ridges is so distinct it can actually be used to identify them. Do you ever read a book and think, no, it shouldn't happen like that? Well, check out the latest innovation in romantic fiction, Macy's Choice, which puts you in charge of the plot as you make life-changing decisions on the main character's behalf. At the end of each chapter in Macy's Choice, there are always two options, and you choose what happens next. With over a million and a half words, that's over 5,000 pages, 256 chapters, and 128 different endings, Macy's Choice is an e-book you can reread again and again, making new choices each time to vary your experience to find love with each of the three heroes. To find out more, visit macyschoice.com. That's M-A-C-I-E-S-C-H-O-I-C-E dot com or search for Macy's Choice on Amazon. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. Some people have so much passion, they are driven to make a change in the world. And Jane Jones certainly changes the world for many dogs. She's inspirational in the love, time, money and effort she puts into saving dogs in need. But since her passion is eloquent, I'll let her tell you about Canine International Rescue. We are primarily a rescue or help dogs in, we started in just Eastern Europe, but uh, we have had a little dog from Spain in the past as well. It is purely for abandoned and street dogs mm. that are out there. I came across the cruelty um, in Bulgaria specifically totally by accident when I seen a video on Facebook about a thing called dog spinning. It is a ritual that happens once a year in one of the small villages hmm. where they set up these big wooden poles and rope and they, they put, tie a dog to it and twist the rope until it's really taut and then loose it go and the dog spins and spins and spins and then they release it and drop it into the river um these are the dogs that are owned in the village people take them there specifically to do this ritual because it's supposed to ward ward off rabies in the village a lot of the dogs uh, are spent more than once and obviously you know, can imagine how traumatic it is and a lot of dogs have been so disoriented that they, they have drowned. Mm-hmm. It was banned at one time, but of course the villagers just go ahead and do what they're doing anyway. But while I was looking into this, I came across other websites that were in Bulgarian, which I had to translate um, saying about the, the cruelty, how the street dogs are treated as vermin, the vast problem with the strays out there, the, the, the purpose torture that's done to a lot of these dogs, shootings, poisonings. And I, I just thought, I can't, I've got to do something about this. Initially, I set up a, a group 
trying to get support to get this dog spinning um, band again, mm. my focus then turned on to, to rescue because through one of the websites, I actually went into Facebook and searched and the first dog that I seen posted on another rescues page was a dog that I have now adopted called Curry. Mm. I um, raised funds to to have this little dog have an operation because he had a broken pelvis. And it, it all escalated from there where I started doing it on my own, rescuing other dogs. And I met Michelle Jones. And this is how we started with K9. Michelle had already been rescuing for many years as she was living in Bulgaria. Uh, and we joined together and this is how we started K9 Rescue as it is now. Yeah, yeah. So it was sort of the, the general situation and, and then your empathy for curry. Sort mm. of, yeah, wow. So, and, and is the aim still to bring dogs in to the UK from Bulgaria? Right. Well, we have, like I said, broadened out now to other countries and we are working with rescues in Macedonia as well. We go in and what we try to do is help a lot of the, the, the rescues there. We show them that it can be done, how they can rescue these dogs and get them rehomed and raise funds for veterinary care, this, that and the other. It's sort of like a, empowering the, the, the people out there. A lot of the rescues in Europe, Eastern Europe are just individual young women or men that that love animals and they they do it themselves. Mm. They take the dogs off the street if they need, you know, veterinary treatment and this, that and the other. So we we try to empower the smaller rescues over there, um, raising funds for them, rehoming the dogs. Uh, you know, we have adopted dogs to, to Holland and Belgium. We have one little one um, who is in uh, Austria as well. Hmm. Over the years, we found that it is a lot easier if we sort of try and rehome the dogs within myself and Michelle's areas. Because obviously, if any adoption or foster did go wrong, we're in travelling distance to yeah. be able to help. Yeah. Mm. Uh, we have adopted dogs up to Scotland and the Isles of Scotland before, but we have found that it is a nightmare to do anything if the adoption does go wrong, which doesn't happen very often, but it does happen, and that happens yeah. with every rescue. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but that's the mark of a responsible, you know, scrupulous rescue that you are there to support. It's not just sort of you take the dog on, you know, the, the adopter takes the dog on and you wash your hands of it. You are there for support, aren't you? Yes. Um, we're, not, we're not a huge rescue. Um, we know the amount of dogs that we can take on because obviously it is only myself and Michelle. And if we were to overload ourselves, well, then the dogs wouldn't be having the best care. Yeah. Um, all of our dogs become like our own to us. We've had a, a lot of rescues with critical injuries that have taken months and months and months to get well and rehabilitation. Obviously, we can't find adoptions for many of the special needs cases that we do take quickly. So it is a long-term thing. So we have the dogs either in dog hotels abroad or at our veterinary clinics abroad or in foster within our age. So we become very attached. Yeah. So I think myself as adoption manager and, of course, everything goes through Michelle as well, uh, we are particularly fussy. Who yeah. But that's what you want, isn't it? I mean, when, when you think about, I mean, heaven forbid, but if you think about rehoming your own dog, you know, if anything happened to you, you you would be so fussy. So for you to have that attitude for those rescue dogs is brilliant. It's, you know, it's you want the best for them, don't you? I, I always find um, Michelle and myself are quite different in personalities, but we are very close, okay? A lot of people think we're sisters because we've got the same siblings. But we always say we're sisters in arms. Mm. Um, you know, Michelle enjoys taking the dogs to their new homes. I do as well, but I get very emotional and yes. I always cry. I always cry when I leave them, even if I've only recently picked the dogs up off transport myself. <laughs> I always wonder, 
still in the back of my mind, are they going to be happy? You know, um, which is silly, really. But I suppose it is because we do get to love these dogs very deeply. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, it's that that love you have for them and that caring that comes out that leads you to take such good care of them because I know you you are very particular as well about sort of any medical treatment and, and their diet aren't you yeah yeah Michelle um is is really knowledgeable about homeopathic treatments I wasn't at speed or very knowledgeable about it until I met Michelle but we've used it a lot in Bulgaria, so much so with such great success that the clinic we use in Sofia have actually employed a homeopathic vet themselves mm. because they, they've actually seen the benefits of it. Obviously, we use conventional medicine as well, but as far as any um, anything that could be really detrimental to the dog, really toxic, toxicity, say it, toxicity of drugs and things like that, we would always look for a holistic or homeopathic remedy beforehand because it is much more, it's gentler on the dog. Not only that, a lot of um, conventional medication is very harsh and it can lead to long-term problems mm. for the dog's health-wise as well. Uh, I've seen great success with with it and to be honest it, it is it has amazed me I would recommend it to anyone and, and people just do not realize that there are a lot of conventional vets in the UK that are actually homeopathic vets as well yeah yeah it, it is growing isn't it yeah, yeah yeah and you are really passionate aren't you about raw feeding yes yes yeah. um I think I've seen a, a, a massive improvement in Ruby my Irish setter since I've been feeding her on raw it is a natural diet for a dog. Some people will say no, but I mean, it is. Um, the, the raw is crushed bones in it as well, which gives calcium. Of course, you've got all the the awful internal organs, which gives all the vitamins, iron, things like this. Mm. Uh, what always amazes me is the difference in a dog's feces yeah. to a dog on a raw diet and a dog on a dry food diet. And um, Ruby was always having intimate, intermittent diarrhea. Mm. Now, after being on raw for, you know, a few years, she's been absolutely fine. Mm. Uh, it, you know, it's, um, I think it's amazing. And of course, <laughs> the main thing is as well, the dogs absolutely love it. That's it. The, the proof of the pudding is in the eating and, and, and the mm. pooing. <laughs> And of course, it, yeah, it always comes back to poo with dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not only that, you see a difference in their coat. Um, yeah. You know, uh, you see a difference in their eyes. I mean, obviously, just their ears. I mean, a lot of dogs like Ruby, my Irish setter, is just constantly having problems with ear wax and things like that. But even that is really great with her now. Yeah. yeah. I think just because. They don't need a lot of food. People are put off because they think it's expensive. But the amount of raw they have to eat compared to a dry diet, because, of course, it's all goodness and it's all absorbed into the body. They don't need a lot of raw, it's, you know, a very small amount of food they need a day. And it satisfies them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, so it doesn't work out expensive, really. Yeah. And as you say, if it's if you can see the the quality of the dog, you know the condition of the mm. dog improving, mm. that's what you want. Because yeah. you you do deal with sort of dogs who have been through a lot already, don't you? I mean, um, I know you've mentioned Jordan, who yeah. he came from Bulgaria, didn't he? Can you tell us about Jordan? Yeah, um, Jordan is a beautiful husky, a husky mix, but he looks very husky-like. So I should imagine he's got a, you know a, a, a great deal of husky in him. Um, Jordan was living or suddenly appeared on a street in one of the towns and a young gentleman, uh, his name was Jordan, I named Jordan after him, mm. uh, contacted us and asked if we could help with him. Uh, he had a severely injured front leg, which we first thought was a fracture, but it wasn't. Um, it was all soft tissue and nerve damage. Mm. So it just couldn't be, couldn't be helped and he was in tremendous pain from it. So we went with the idea of um, amputating the leg because it was useless to him and just causing him great pain and there was no way we could repair it. So we amputated 
and he got over the operation really well. And a few days later, uh, he collapsed. Mm. We did a lot of tests, and it turned out that he had a tick-borne disease. Mm. Um, obviously, he'd been bitten by a tick, and he made him seriously ill. In fact, we nearly lost him a few times, and we had paid for dogs to come in and donate blood, which was very expensive. Yeah. We were all in love with Jordan, and he was such a beautiful dog. We wanted to try everything. Um, that seemed to to get him, you know, well again. But then his eye was damaged through the tech. But luckily for us, um, our, our vet in uh, Sofia, Maria Sovova, is a canine eye specialist, and she mm. managed to save his eye. Wow. He still has a cloud on there, but he has got vision. Otherwise, poor Jordan would have ended up having his left front leg missing, and he would have lost his left eye as well. Yeah. Um, so anyway Jordan recovered and he was fine after I think it was 72 hours of you know we were so worried for him yeah Uh, Jordan went to one of our dog hotels and he waited for a year for someone to offer adoption for him Uh, and then a light came for him a a lovely lady in England who um, was you know experienced with tripods and dogs said that she would adopt him uh so he came over to her and he had to go into foster for a week first because the lady wouldn't have been back to correspond with the arrival time of Jordan Mm. and sadly um this lovely lady's who was in remission from cancer her cancer came back and it spread rapidly and within two weeks she passed away oh dear so Jordan never actually got to his new mum. Oh, but somebody wanted him. Somebody wanted him. Aww. Now, because he was only in temporary foster, of course, we yeah. had to find him somewhere else. And sadly, Jordan is about a 10-minute walk away from me in a in a friend's boarding kennels, and he's been there for nearly a year, and he's still waiting. Oh, so if anybody listening likes mm. the sound of Jordan, um, mm. we'll put a, a photograph of Jordan on the... Um, yeah. And cast site, and it would be within the South Wales and the Forest of Dean area that he would be adopted. Yeah, yeah. Because okay, obviously well, he's been with me for a long time now and comes and stays a while, so he's like yeah. my well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now I know, as you say, you do develop such a bond with these dogs that I think two of them. You've mentioned curry, but um, two of them have become sort of your dogs. You've adopted them yourself, haven't you? So um, how how's curry now? Curry at the moment is uh, he was caught in a fox near once. Hmm. He'd been here with me for a while, but then he was caught in a fox near and didn't show any signs of injury or anything. I mean, he is a big 58 to 60 kilo dog, okay? He was very lucky that he is so big because if it had been a smaller dog, I think it would have cut their foot off. Mm. Um, he was fine, but a few months after that, he started to show signs of lameness on his back leg. Mm. Lately, he's been down to um, Langford House Veterinary University and he's had MRI scans. He's had a lot of different tests and they couldn't pinpoint what was wrong with him, but obviously the sciatic nerve is dead. Yeah. So at the moment, we I am in the process of getting him, or thinking about getting him, a supportive um, sciatic nerve boot from orthopeds. Uh, hmm. uh, he isn't in any pain. You know, he's fine, but sadly that, de- that leg is now virtually dead. Oh, we're well, not dead, but he's, 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 front, he's, he's poor knuckles under. Because yeah. his brain now is not telling him to hold his foot down flat. Um, sadly, after all the cruelty he went through over there, he came over and suffered by someone else's hands over you. Yeah. Gosh, that's that's so sad that, you know, that people are snaring foxes anyway, but yeah, that, that um, dogs get caught in them then. That's, oh, right. <laughs> Awful. Well, um, is is he happy in himself, though? Oh, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. He's happy, yeah. He's not in any pain at all. It's, um, obviously, the nerve is dead, so he's not suffering from any pain. No, There's no. no in there so yeah and dogs mm. even when they pick up sort of injuries or, or disabilities they don't sort of dwell on it they just get on with life oh, don't of they? course they do I mean we've got a lot of um uh, little invalid dogs mm. 
that they've got their their own wheelchairs. Um, we've got Joshua, we've got Bobby, and we've got Hope. Hope was shot, and she's got a bullet in her spine. Mm. Um, we are going through the process of seeing whether it can be removed and whether it will cause you know help her with the paralysis. Bobby, we don't actually know what happened to Bobby because we found him in another rescue in Bulgaria, found him in one of the the municipal, uh, well, they say shelters, we call them isolators. Hmm. Um, Joshua was actually, um, his spine was severed. Um, We Hmm. think someone had hit him with a blunt object. Um, Gosh. Honey, he's tiny, he's you. Um, We did do an operation at Nova Clinic. Or, um, to try and fix the severed spinal cord. Hmm. It's never been done before, but amazingly, uh, Joshua can wag his tail and everything now. Wow. So he's got a special little wheelchair that um, he's like pedals on it. So when he walks, it exercises his back legs as well. Yeah. Um, I, you know, and of course, there are a lot of dogs like this in Eastern Europe with a lot of the, the road traffic accidents that happen. I mean, obviously, they're living on the streets and the vast majority of them do get run over. Mm. Um, there are a lot of dogs um, who have got these injuries. And, and people do adopt, you know, um, disabled dogs because mm. they don't know they're disabled. No, no. <laughs> and they don't care. And they are so, so happy, mm. um, you know, whether they're in their cart or not in their cart, they can still move very, very quickly. Yeah. And, yeah. I have um, to say, I've, I've, I've seen, at a, another rescue, I've seen, um, uh, I think it was a German Shepherd Cross, with a back leg cart. Right. And yeah. she just shot around the field like all the others. But the, the sweetest thing was, as she was approaching, some of the other dogs would just like curl up in a ball, like, oh, she's coming with the wheels again. <laughs> and she'd just roll past or over them. And then they'd get up and carry on. But they all just you know adapted and yeah. i met i met two dogs at crufts with front leg carts mm. and bless them they they were so happy tails wagging and they they just don't care they can get around they're having yeah. a good life mm. tails wagging that's what you want isn't it it is it's brilliant um you know i just wish that a lot of the or some of the vets in the uk would look at a disabled dog differently where abroad it, it's not a problem um, or the dog needs cart and that's it you know we've still got quality of life yeah uh, a lot of our vets would just say straight away you know the dog needs to be put to sleep mm. and you know there's a lot of um, pets in this country that especially German shepherds labs things like that that obviously do suffer where their back legs and their hips go but it doesn't mean to say so like you know it's a death sentence no no still have a life in front of them you know, I've had a few of our disabled dogs here and I have absolutely been devastated when they've left me because I have fallen in love with them so totally Yeah. because of their courage and their zest for life. Yeah, yeah. It's, it isn't easy to cope with a, a disabled dog. It does take more time, you know, it, but it's so rewarding. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, it's, you know, just as some people have disabilities they're no less people just because oh, they have disabilities the, you know disabled dogs are no less dogs because they have disabilities aren't they they're just you know you just have to find some ways around things and then you can still have a happy and fulfilled life so that's that's the the name of the game isn't it um jane tell me about roshi then because um roshi yeah oh roshi roshi came to live with you didn't yes yeah he yeah um roshi was found in one of the the big municipal shelters in Sofia. Uh, Michelle went over a few years ago with uh, Lorraine Chase, who was our patron, hmm. um, a gentleman called Gary Edwards, and um, Gavin from Wet Nose. Yes, yeah. yeah. Wendy Turner and Theo Turner's sister. Oh, yes, yeah. They went to Bulgaria with a film crew because there was a little disabled dog out there called Borko was living with um, the gentleman who'd taken him off the street and adopted him, who was a doctor in the village. And um, they've been trying to evict Dr. Litov since. So they went up to Bulgaria to try and get support. Uh, it was also going around different um, other rescues, 
um, they went to the municipal shelters. They were really lucky that they had permission to get into this one called Svetslatsi because years ago it, it was absolutely like a prisoner of war camp or, you know, wherever. Mm-hmm. They had thousands of dogs there. They still have a lot, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dogs there. And they do not have any adoption procedure. The dogs are obviously taken off the streets and put there and, and they can't keep full and taking more dogs in. So obviously the dogs are destroyed. Yeah. Um, we were given permission to go and visit. And Michelle was quite encouraged that it wasn't as bad as what it had been previous years. But it's still not good. Mm. Uh, we took a little dog out of there called Peaches, who was absolutely covered in mange. Hmm. Um, but Michelle spotted this little scruffy little thing <laughs> <laughs> in a cage, in one of the cages with a lot of other dogs. And she couldn't get him or his face out of her mind all night when she was asleep or in bed at the hotel. So went back the next day and asked if she could take him as well. Hmm. We initially thought that he had something wrong with his heart. But it wasn't. It was just, it showed that he was just, the, the way he was living, the conditions he was living in was giving him a cough and things like that. Hmm. Um, he stayed at our clinic for quite a while because he was um, teamed up with another of our rescue dogs called Tyra. And she's got um, severe lick laminola on her leg. And because they were good friends, we thought his companionship would help her with her stress and things like that. So then they went to um, the same dog hotel that Jordan was at, and a lot of our dogs go to, or did go to, it's changed hands now, so we don't use them. Hmm. But um, he then travelled over uh, with another of our little rescues, Ricky, and he was coming to me as foster. But I am a useless foster. And to be honest, he is absolutely stunning. He's got the biggest, beautifulest eyes. Um, he's got a two-coloured nose. He's pink and black. Hmm. He's really, really funny. He's called Roshi. Roshi is short for Roshko, and that means messy hair in Bulgarian. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they are very inventive with their names, um, and there are hundreds and hundreds of Roshis and Roshkos in Bulgaria. Uh well, anyway, as he stayed, the longer he stayed, um, little things started to come out in him, issues and different things. And I thought to myself, even though I loved him anyway by then, uh, that I thought if he went to into adoption, he might come back because he isn't very nice with Curry. He can be very naughty with Curry. Mm. Um, he is as good as gold outside the house. He is absolutely fantastic. But within the house, he thinks that he is a little devil dog. (laughs) (laughs) So he has stayed. Um, I've got another little one here as well called Lucy. Mm. She's from Macedonia. And she's been here for a while. Um, I am taking her to see her family on Thursday. But I have told the family, you know, I'm still in two minds whether to keep her myself. Yeah. I... You know, I, I am a hopeless. I actually fall in love with them all. Um, <laughs> I'm not really a very good foster carer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they fail foster because they stay with you. Oh, bless. I think they're jolly lucky to find you, Jane. Um, I think if Michelle hadn't seen Rashi that day, that he would, would have been dead within a few weeks. He yeah. He would have been put down. He wouldn't have got out of Setsatsi. So he is a very, very lucky little dog. Yeah, yeah. I, the work you and Michelle are doing is is wonderful. I, I I take my hat off to you. It's really admirable. Um, how can people find out more about Canine International Rescue online? Right. Okay. We've got our own Facebook page, mm-hmm. All Canine Rescue International. Um, obviously, we don't get a lot of time to keep updating it because, you know, like I said, we're very hands-on. Yeah. It, it isn't just that we're a rescue sat in front of the computer. I mean, we are in constant um, conversations with because we've got quite a lot of dogs that are still not in the country yet, okay? Mm-hmm. They are still receiving, um, you know, veterinary care, this, that and the other. Um, 
we're in constant contact with the ladies over there discussing these dogs. I mean, obviously, I'm on the phone a lot doing adoption interviews before we go to even do a home check. I go through a thorough adoption interview on the telephone. Yeah. And because we've got all the dogs local to us, I mean, I've got a little one in Foster who's she's 10 minutes away from me, one an hour away. Michelle's got a lot of foster dogs with her as well, herself, and in her area. So we are out and about a lot. Mm-hmm. So we don't always get the time to be on Facebook, updating our Facebook page. Yeah. We yeah. do have our own website as well, which is just, it's under Canine Rescue. Great. Okay, we'll put links to both of those. And obviously, if people have been touched by hearing about the dogs that you've rescued you've saved um they can donate there can they yes please we are always begging for donations you have to rest realize that not all the dogs that we take on are critically injured or have you know physical problems a lot of the dogs that we have do have you know emotional problems not where they're not perfect pets but they have had horrific lives yeah um we've got one little one another roshi okay Mm. um he was actually owned he is a pedigree okay he's a bolognese Mm. and the family then decided the young couple who owned him doted on him loved him he was a lap dog they then decided to have a baby and didn't think that he would be suitable around the baby so they, they did try and rehome him, and they did, but the new owners threw him out onto the street. Um, this is a little uh, a dog that was not bred to be living in harsh conditions. No, I mean, a, a Bolognese, it's a small, white, fluffy dog, isn't it? It's, as you well, say, it's a it, lap dog. It's a, yeah, yeah. He's, he's black and white. Yeah. Anyway, he, like I said, he had to try and live on the street, which he did. Um, he was then adopted to a Bulgarian family who didn't have him in the home like they said they were going to. He was chained outside. Oh. He, when uh, the rescuer went to check on him months later, his coat was totally matted. He was in a terrible state. Mm. Uh, we took him and he had to have two operations on his knees. He had what condition called floating knees. Yeah. He's here in in the UK and Foster now as well. Um, it, these dogs suffer emotional uh, abuse, okay, as well as physical. Um, it, it is a long process sometimes with these dogs to get their mind where they're not scared, where they're not frightened. I mean, for example, even Curry and Rashi, and Lucy, to a certain extent, mm. go with my garden. And if I'm out there, I've got a large garden. If I'm out there with them, they're fine. But if I actually come in, if I wish to shut the back door, Carrie would have a meltdown. Oh. Because, yeah. uh, and Rashi, they can they start crying, scratching the door when I go out there, Carrie's shaking, because they think they're being shut out again. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, bless them. You know, so... It is a long process. It's not sort of like taking a dog and then finding a suitable home and an adoption and a turnover in a couple of weeks. No, no. So, of course, when our dogs are in foster, they are having, um, you know, conventional veterinary care. They're having homeopathic veterinary care. That We supply all the food. We pay all the costs. Mm. And when you've got dogs in foster over a long period of time at that, it costs a lot of money. Oh, gosh, yes. And we are only a small rescue. We have some fantastic donators who support us all the time. Mm. But, like, during the summer months now, we're really struggling because everyone's got their own expenses, holidays, the children's are home from school. So usually through August, apart from the donations that we have coming to us monthly by people who sponsor dogs, uh, we won't. We don't receive anything, but we've still got a lot. Of, we, you know, we've got dogs in boarding kennels over here. Not just Jordan. We've got two others as well. You know, so that is a big sum. Yeah, yeah. Month as well. Yeah. 
Oh, well, it's such a wonderful job that you and Michelle are doing and um, the best of luck with the future. Okay, thank you very much, Julie. Thank you. Do bear in mind, when you hear in that interview how enthusiastic Jane is about raw feeding, that she's a vegetarian, but she's worked hard to come to terms with raw feeding for her dog's sake. In connection with a dog's diet, another of her passions is cruelty-free farming, and you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all to hear that she's tackling that next. To find out more about the force of nature that is Jane Jones and the wonderful Canine International Rescue, go to www.canine-rescue.org.uk or look them up on Facebook. Both links are on the Dogcast Radio site. If a guy has a dog with him when he meets a girl, he's three times more likely to get the girl's phone number if he asks. I do like hearing about a dog who finds a happy ending, and Daisy the Chihuahua Mix recently found her happily ever after, after a very difficult start in life. She was abandoned in Los Angeles at just two months old, and not only was she a stray, but she had congenital deformities of her elbows, right shoulder and hips. She couldn't run at all, and had trouble walking. Even when she was taken into a shelter, she was scheduled for euthanasia. But then, a Home Forever rescue rescued her. It took several months to find her a home, but Daisy was adopted by Sheena and Christian Maine, who got her a wheelchair to enable her to get around. Sadly, though, after two years, her vet said it was putting pressure on Daisy's spine, so her owners investigated prosthetic limbs. Animal Ortho Care in Chantilly, Virginia, heard about Daisy, and Dr. Derek Campana flew to Los Angeles to examine Daisy and design her new legs. Now, Daisy is able to get around extremely well. Sheena says, Daisy is now running. Both her ears and her spirit are bouncing with joy. And if you like to see Daisy in action, just watch the video on the Dogcast Radio site. We all know our dogs can get themselves into dangerous situations. But what breed would you say is the most accident-prone? Well, apparently it's the Chow Chow, because according to Direct Line Pet Insurance in the UK, that's the breed that they receive most claims for. The second and third most accident-prone breeds are the Boxer and the Bull Terrier. But which breeds do you think are the least accident-prone? That honour goes to the Patterdale Terrier, with Poodle Crosses and Chihuahuas coming in second and third. But I think we may need more research on this subject to get to the truth, because it may be that some breeds are more or less likely to be insured. Or could it be that owners of different breeds are more or less likely to supervise their dogs? What do you think? When Julia Hassett and her husband went to a shelter to adopt a dog, they had no idea how she would change their lives for the better. Their hearts were won by a quiet, gentle dog who was called Fiona. Julia later changed her name to Opal, but when her husband pointed out that this is Julia's birthstone, neither knew how significant Opal would become to Julia. Julia has a rare neurological disease, which means she can't leave the house alone and she suffers non-epileptic seizures. Everything seemed normal when Opal lay down beside Julia one day, but when she started determinedly nudging Julia's foot, Julia was puzzled. But then she realised she was about to have a seizure. When Julia regained consciousness, Opal was nibbling her fingers, which seemed to have helped Julia come round. Repeatedly since then, Opal has alerted Julia to impending seizures, has barked to attract family members' attention during a seizure, has refused to leave Julia's side, and has nibbled her fingers to help her recovery. As you can imagine, Julia's life is much better, but movingly, she states in a thank-you letter to the rescue who gave her Opal that her eight-year-old son can now go to school without worrying about his mother. If you'd like to read Julia's letter in full, you can find a link on the Dogcast Radio site. We'll be back next month with our Christmas show, with an interview about a great new book, Dogopedia, which Battersea Dogs and Cats Home has brought out, and a charming interview about a dog and owner who have had fun and made memories together, and appeared on TV and talent shows along the way. Till then, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com.
radiocast.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident dogcast radio. That's all one word, dogcast radio. By email, you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. How does a dog stop a TV show? He presses pause.